0: I always knew, deep, deep down, that if I ever became a teacher, I would be a teacher for the rest of my life. And the reason I knew that is because every teacher in my life that had an influence, I will remember forever.
1: Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do black educators
0: matter? Hello, I am Crystal Higgs. I currently serve as an assistant principal at a middle school. When it comes to Black educators and why we matter, um, it's mainly because it is very important for Black children to see educators who are professionals, who have overcome challenges and difficulties in their lives, hardships, or even just Black educators that they can connect with. Because oftentimes, students have a difficult time identifying with some of the individuals on face because they don't look like them or they're possibly not from their same communities and as a result of it when they experience hardships or struggles or even when they just need to grow in regard to their achievement they don't feel comfortable enough reaching out to the individuals around them and most importantly our children children need to be able to see individuals who they can you know aspire to become like
1: absolutely where are you from?
0: I am from Florida. Um, I've been in Florida my entire life. Um, I've served at three different schools. So I actually started my education career at teaching at my high school. So my high school, it is a Title I uh, high school in an urban community where 99% of the children are Black. Uh, When I say black, I don't mean just American black. We have a lot of Caribbean students from Jamaican to Haitian to different Caribbean islands. And after graduating, I had decided to go to uh, the University of Central Florida, which is, you know, predominantly a white institution. I would sit in classes and I would hear in the education classes conversations about black students and their achievement and the achievement gap and The absence of black educators and I would just sit there and you know oftentimes I was the only black student in the room and I'm like man, and I just listened to the way that they talk about the community as well as the schools in the community and I decided that I wanted to go back to teach. At my high school, for two reasons: number one, to be a source of support for the students there, Um, and number two, so that I can kind of change a little bit of that stigma that that came with coming from that neighborhood or graduating from that school. So I spent, you know, ten years there in various positions. um, At which point, I then once I became an assistant principal, I moved over to a different Title One school where it gave me the opportunity to just connect with a different culture where now i was in a situation where 80% of the student population was hispanic and once again it was very similar to my first experience at my high school because you know hispanic people they come in all shapes all shades of brown so it was very interesting to see the diversity there but one thing that i noticed especially now transitioning to a non-title one school is that we don't have as many black educators so oftentimes in all of these settings when I would start at a new school or start an initiative there, or just begin working, I would see the you know brown the brown faces. They kind of gravitate toward me um, in my in my various positions and roles because they are seeking uh, individuals that they can connect with.
1: Going back to you sitting in your college classes and you kind of being the only person that looked like you in that space, what did you? What were they saying? Just to kind of like be a fly on the wall, except you weren't a fly on the wall. You were a whole, full, present student that had to sit through this. What were they saying?
0: Well, it was, you know, I, I will tell you that I do try to compartmentalize a lot of those things. So mm-hmm. it's a little okay But um, as I was sitting there, I know I would usually choose a seat up front. And then um, they would start to mention just, you know, how in black schools they lack educators who are, competent, and who are highly qualified, and as a result of it, the students continue to fall behind. They have all types of challenges that lead them down very negative paths. And when they were beginning to talk about those things, I'm like, man, that's my school. Whoa. I'm not exactly certain if that's how I felt about my teachers in, in, in high school. So it was really going back to the fact that in you know, urban schools and black schools in particular, we don't have qualified educators. And that kind of hit me a little hard because I, you know, being, a product of one of those schools, I felt as though my educators, they cared about me. And that's one thing that kids will remember all the time, But they cared about me, they supported me. And it was always, you know, in order to grow me academically as well as, you know, as a human, socially, emotionally, spiritually, it was a, you know, one-stop shop there. And I'm like, wow, they're, they're really talking about the fact that our, our kids are in lack.
1: It's amazing what they deem as qualified, <laughs> Because because a person, because we talk about that. So I'm in Illinois and in Illinois, um, in charter schools, they can have a certain percentage of the teaching staff not have to have their teacher licensure. So in public schools, all of the teachers have to be licensed or certified in charter schools. Up to 25 percent of your of your teaching staff doesn't have to have a license. So it's a lot of like conversation around qualified versus not qualified because I have seen some educators who are licensed be pretty poor educators. And I've also seen some educators who do not have a license be great educators.
0: Absolutely. That's a very, that's a great perspective, Danielle, because you're right. They and we, I saw that working in you know a Title One school and of course now with the comparison working in a non Title One school with you know a high number of minority children versus you know not as many, and we had a lot of support in regards to tutors and different organizations that would come in and help us for and when they would come we would have some of those individuals make pretty much better connections and build stronger rapport with those students and can ha- get them to actually do the work. We have some teachers in the classroom, although they are licensed, they're, they wouldn't be what I would call qualified in order to, you know, make an impact, influence, and to grow students. Because ultimately, we are there for kids. We are there for students. And if we come into the classroom and we belittle them or we discount the, the things that they come into the classroom with, you know, their prior knowledge, and we tell them, hey, you're not good enough. That's not what we need. It always leads to students shutting down, erecting barriers, and it becomes a problem. And so you're right. When we come to talk about, you know, qualify, you can have a license and still not be the best educator in that room.
1: Mm-mm. And that's why I really appreciate and want to shout out the community educators and the the other Adults and even teens who support learning outside of the traditional <laughs> teacher role because that learning happens across so many relationships. But it, it is just amazing to me when I talk to people and they recall times where people were talking around them about the type of educational experiences that they received. And it's like we, we really view this education thing pretty differently.
0: Right. That is so very true. Um, and sometimes, you know, I know we talk, we're going to talk about some other things, but I've been pondering on, you know, what has been the most impactful experience in education? And there's one that continues to come up. Where I was talk, I was neighbors with a you know, one of, I was neighbors with the white teacher, and she would come over and she said, "Man, you know the kids, they they really like you. What are you doing?" I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You know, I'm just myself." I said, "But don't worry, you're nicer." And I laughed and I joked about it, and she says, "No, but seriously." And so I teased her, I teased her and I said, you know, I oh, don't worry about it, I'll just write a book. And she's like, no, really. She's like, because I really want to make connections with you know, these students, but I don't know how. And she says, you know, I just, I, they come and they try to talk to me or they come and they sit in my room you know, for class and, and I want to talk to them, but I don't know what to say. And so I started at that moment to really think about it because at first I'm like, Man, she has to be joking. Right? This is a joke. These are children. They're people. We, we make connections. We talk to them about, you know, interests, the things we learn, learning, how to connect, you know, all types of things. But I, I quickly realized that it was very real and very different. It's actually a reason that I it was that same that same teacher that encouraged me or should I say motivated me to put together all of the student statements that I got at the end of the year. Like students write letters and things. Same teacher. She brought me about eighty different letters from kids that they they choose some prompt that where they say uh, write to a teacher who's been helpful to you this year. So she came over with about eighty or so letters, and I was like, whoa. She's like, they all decided that they wanted to write to you. I told them that, you know, they should write to other people. And I said, OK, no problem. So I started looking at the letters and just some of the things that the kids were saying. And I said, man, these are things that I just organically do that other people are you know struggling to make connections because of a lack of cultural reference. And I took all of those remarks and I, I structured uh, a book called Connecting with Students because I realized that in that moment that it was a, a true concern from a lot of educators who are not black. Um, and that's another reason why black educators are important. Our kids are trying to reach out and connect with educators in their world. And they're not always successful, not because of lack of them trying, but because the, the teacher on the other end doesn't know how to fortify those connections.
1: Ooh, the power of the connections and the relationships. And I guess that's not something that they teach you in school, huh?
0: <laughs> uh, maybe now they do. They had at some point, They we're now shifting into culturally responsive teaching. So I would hope that at the university level, they are realizing that they need to, to incorporate that into the curriculum. And even still, you know, even with that textbook class that they're going to create, it's something that just at the school level as well as the district level, we need to work on developing a, a stronger process for making sure that. There's a system in place for teachers to learn how to make those connections. Because just as a TED talk from Rita Pearson says, she says, you know, kids don't learn from people they don't like. And there will be some kids who are just they're gonna they gonna come to school, they're gonna do what they have to do, just like research says. And then there's other kids who'll shut down on you because they don't like you and they won't do work and they think that they're hurting you. When in time, we know that ultimately it just it hurts their situation. But in their minds, that's that's not what's happening. They're like, I don't like this teacher. She doesn't understand me. She's always treating me wrong. You know, all because that connection is mission. And we, we build connections through shared experiences. And they're not always uh, crafted at the classroom level or the school level or the district level, for that matter, to ensure that our kids are in a safe space where they feel connected so that they can learn and thrive.
1: And to also just make the attempt to connect with them as humans, like, (laughs) you know, just not even trying to go into the racism that happens. Well, just the white supremacy culture that we deal with on a day to day basis. If you see a kid coming into a room, just. Hey, you know, it's it's not like it's it's not a foreign language or anything. I mean, unless you're like a foreign language teacher, but it's not something that is abnormal. You've had relationships and conversations with children, that's what led you to this space. So you don't have to treat like building relationships with these kids as something different. Like, how would you build a relationship with your children? Dude.
0: Correct. How do you build relationships
1: with any kid? Yeah, just with um, any kid. So taking all of that into consideration, so you went back, you taught at your old school. Shout out to you going back to your... So what's your neighborhood, the neighborhood that you came from, that you grew up in? What's that like? What are the demographics like?
0: Okay, well, the demographics, the school is uh, in... The, that's We have two schools in that neighborhood. So I am from what they, most people... I'm closely from what most people consider to be Pine Hill's. I'm in Orlando, Florida. And in Pine Hills, I grew up off of a street where it was, of course, we had the projects on the street, and then we had some other apartment complexes along the lines. And those apartment complexes, you know, you you weren't exactly, there were no government assistance, but the rent wasn't, you know, high at all. And then we had maybe two, we had two sections where there were houses. And of course, we had the community center in, in the neighborhood, and we had a park, and then of course we had our little corner store that everybody was right in front of the the, the projects and the majority of everyone ninety nine percent of everybody in this neighborhood um was black, and we had two schools, okay, and they split the street in half, they split the street in half, where half of us went to one school at one point, like in the early nineties was predominantly. Um, a white school had shifted toward the late 90s to 99% black students And once I came back to teach. And then the other one was a historically black school, which is still very much so, where they have a strong alumni that are really pre- protected by that connection in the neighborhood. So we have those two schools. And that, so our demographics very much mirror that of the school, and it still does.
1: Okay. So why did you decide to become an educator? What made you say that you wanted to become an educator when you grew up?
0: Most of us, when I have this conversation, especially in leadership meetings or some district meeting, the majority of us will say that when we first started, we didn't we didn't necessarily go into college saying, I'm going to be an educator. Some, some of us, we are called to do it, and and I have to admit that at times we might fight our calling, and we push back a little bit. But what I will tell you, and this is not anything that I typically share with most people, but I always knew deep deep down that if I ever became a teacher, I will be a teacher for the rest of my life. And the reason I knew that it's because every single teacher, well, okay, let me be clear, every teacher in my life they had an influence. I will remember forever. I don't. I don't necessarily remember those that are faceless. Like I told you earlier, I try to compartmentalize people, that, certain actions and things that people do in order to, you know, protect my spirit and keep my spirit safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is that there are so many educators in my life who really kind of, you know, shielded me and guided me and really just led me down a path of growth, and not just in regard to academics. The first grades kindergarten through grade I was what they would call cross-eyed okay so this was something I had to deal with some accident happened when I was one years old and as a result of it my right eye it you know it went all the way into the corner so it was something I had to deal with in the neighborhood and then it transitioned into school and what I will say is that in addition to you know my neighborhood folk and my friends making sure that I didn't have to deal with much, you know, garbage at school. My teachers did a great job of identifying my strengths and making sure to pull them out of me. Because in a situation where you're walking around and you look different than your your peers, you tend to withdraw. Okay? So, at home I was a different child. I was outspoken. I was talking all the time. I was into so many different things, but when I got to school, I was quiet. People would think that I don't speak, you know. I was still very much, I was still very much polite and nice, but I didn't really try to make connections with people because I didn't want to have to explain, you know, my situation, why I look different than everybody else. I didn't want to open myself up to any type of ridicule or I get anyone else in trouble for even trying it. Cause you know, my neighborhood folks are like, Hey, you better leave Crystal alone. So I didn't want it in trouble. So I would try to, you know, stay low. But what I will say is that the teachers in my life, what they did for me, is not only did they support me academically, but what they did do is they pulled they pulled a lot of things out of me so that I can really be, be the same person at home and at school. And that only happens when teachers provide a safe space. So leading going back to your question about what led me to education, because I had this already in my heart, because I know all of the things that the teachers did for me and how I was able to kind of really just transform over the course of my academic career and development. In the eleventh grade, I had a teacher who really poured into me. I guess once again, a teacher identifying some things in me um, that they they thought to be, you know, gifts and talents. And she started to me to enroll in uh, different teacher programs. Like she wanted me to get into Junior Achievement, which at that time was uh, teaching elementary students. She encouraged me to uh, get involved in Big Brother, Big Sister. She had me working with her uh, Future Educators of America's group. And all along, I would tell her, I don't know why you want me to do this. I am not going to be a teacher. Just stop it. I am not going to be a teacher. And she's like, it's okay. I just want your help, right? And so she tried to slip side, get me involved which she did. Um, But all along, I kept saying, no. I'm not gonna be a teacher i'm really just fighting the fact that this was something that i enjoyed something that i really felt validated from and then i knew it was something that also mattered um it was that same teacher that was the one to give me my first recommendation to, to become an educator at my high school she was so very excited when i finally stopped pushing when i stopped pushing against this calling that i have because i really view it as a calling And what ultimately brought me there is those conversations that I talked about in a few minutes ago in college, where I was sitting in education classes, and they were talking about how our black schools were in such a state of despair, and how we don't have qualified educators, and how the black children that attend these are, they're living in the achievement gap, and it's going to be very difficult for them to get out. And they start talking about the negative outcomes, such as, you know, of course, low-paying jobs, very, very poor, you know, health because of a lack of finances, and even being incarcerated, just really having nowhere to go and nothing to do. And to be honest, you know, I I push back against that. Um, Teachers, I tell people this all the time, teachers live forever in the hearts of the students that we reach every day because we do things that we don't even remember doing. (laughs) Every time I speak to an old, uh, you know, former student, they're like, they, they bring up some situation that I'm like, whoa. I didn't even remember that, uh, that that happened, but it was something that a child, I mean, now an adult, was still holding on to as something that was a core and critical part of their life and who they had become. So ultimately, I came to education so that I can be a part of the change and be a part uh, of the difference because the black, black children, just like any other child in this world, they need, they, they should have the same opportunities to be successful in life um, just like anyone else.
1: Thanks for tuning in this week. Now a word from today's sponsor.
0: What's up, everybody? I am Blake Nathan, the CEO and founder of the Educate Me Foundation. I want to invite all my HBCU students majoring in education and my current HBCU educators to the 2021 HBCU Teachers Fair held on January 27th. We will have DJ Envy in the building, hosting our celebrity panel on the state of the black education. You can register today by visiting www.encomhq.com or visiting www.hbcuteachersfair.com.
1: This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at BlackEducators.Matter. Visit us online at www.BlackEducatorsMatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. Your story makes my heart happy for multiple reasons, but one is that you realize now as an adult, so many times for parents, when they don't understand the experience that their kids are having at school, when they get calls from the school saying like your child did X, the parent or family is like, well, my child wouldn't do that. My child's not like that. But if your child is not feeling safe at school, the bubbly, happy child at home might be shy and withdrawn and isolated at school. But when you have adults at school and teachers at school that protect you, you know, like that make that school a safe place for you in addition to like finding that light in you and encouraging you to find that light in yourself but making school safe for you emotionally i i just my soul felt good hearing that because you said it perfectly teachers really do live in the hearts of their students forever they really
0: do and that's really important, Danielle, because I, am, I have always been, as, even as a very little girl, protective, protective as many of our students are, um, of my parents, especially my mom. So if I experienced anything at school, I was reluctant to share those things, not because we didn't have a great relationship, but because I wanted to protect her in a way. It's really strange. I didn't want her to be hurt by it. I didn't want her to be angry or upset or to worry more about me um, when we had other things for her to worry about. So it it actually was even more impactful that those teachers reached out and made sure to kind of support me in this area because they didn't know that. No one knew that. My mom probably still doesn't know that. And it's only because I didn't want to add more to what was going on at home. So I would never take what was happening at school and bring it home. So it was really important for that safe space to be in place. And what I will tell you, working in administration, we deal, with, we deal with a lot of trouble. And by trouble, it's not just a student misbehaving in class. But we deal with a lot of students who have mental health issues, self-esteem issues, and confidence issues. And I can't tell you how many times I sit and I talk to a child who wants to, you know, harm themselves in some way. And their parents have no idea. Their parents, they have not shared how they've been feeling. Our things happen at home that they carry over. The parents, you know, may have been having a conversation they were listening to. And it really, in an adult perspective, has nothing to do with the child. And they, they want to harm themselves in some way. And the parents have no idea. The parents come in when, you know, because I have to tell them, I said, you know, as a parent, I need, I would want to know this. And I know that you don't want to share this because, you know, at home things might be, um, you, your mom might be going through a lot or your dad might be going through a lot. But I'm going to share it with them because they need to know, sweetheart, you have to be safe. Um, and just having that safe space at school and just, in, and having someone you can connect with. That at school, that is so important. And so many of our black students just, you know, compare my experiences um, don't always feel that they have someone they can go to. It's not that they can't connect with people who are not black, but oftentimes some situations they do look for educators who, who look like them and who maybe have possibly traveled that same walk as them. And they, they need black educators. They need to see that. And they need to, um, have the opportunity to be able to make those connections. I, I mean, I've had kids say things like, man, where are the black people at? You know, and that means that it's something that they're thinking about. And it's something that we need to be thinking about as educators, education leaders and, and, and uh, just as a, as a school system in general.
1: So then let me ask the questions that the kids ask, because I always say, listen to the kids. Where are the black people at? What is the state of education in black America and how did we get here?
0: Wow, that's a loaded question. I was doing some research the other day and it's just even when I was I was in one of my favorite books is Building Culturally Responsive Family School Relationships and the author Ellen Amate, she, she cites pretty much the research of the absence of black educators. We're there, but at a very lower percentage in the schools. And if you take that and you spread us all out, of course, there will only be a few black, people, black educators on campus. Um, why we're not going into education, I'm not exactly sure, because what I will say is that when I go to things like leadership fairs, where we're looking, there are a lot of black educators who are seeking a, a seat at the table. Okay so we are we're there but I will say just from a leadership perspective is that in order for us to kind of see the change here where you say you know where are the black educators that really happens at the leadership level and the reason I say that is because the at the leadership level they are they are the ones that are hiring for those positions and if they are not hiring Black educators for some reason, then we won't see their presence. And we can't say that Black educators are not available or not qualified because we exist. But if we're not hiring them and giving them the opportunity to sit at the table, to walk into the classroom door, then we won't be there.
1: Our schools designed for children of color? So not even talking about the lack of adult presence. Black adults in the building. What about the student experience? Are schools designed for Black students?
0: It depends on the school you're talking about, Danielle. I would tell you that in a Title in a Title One school with the majority of Black children who attend, I see a lot of systems in place to support their growth, their development, and just overall their family and in the community. Where I've been in a place where we've had all types of services right on campus. So we have a diverse staff, we have a doctor on campus, we had a dentist on campus, we had licensed mental health counselors on campus, plus we had mentors coming in from different organizations from all shades of brown. And then we had systems in place where students were struggling academically, they were appointed mentors, we would push in, the traders would push in, the coaches will push in and that we would support these children based off their individual needs right and that's in a community where the majority of 99 of the kids were black the systems were put in place to ensure that they're that they're pretty much that we change the trajectory of, of their their future okay but just in comparison and this is the same experience that i've had in the second Title One school I was in, where systems in place to support kids. So now, when I start thinking about a school where there are not many, not as many Black children as any other group on the campus, the systems that are presently in place, they need some work because a lot of Black children that are that are attending these schools, they don't feel that they are seen. They often feel ignored, and then we get. a when they yell and they scream, right? They get mm-hmm. off the school bus, they're loud, they congregate with one another because they, you know, those are the only people on campus that look like them because they come from the same neighborhood for the most part. And then they come, they're loud with each other. But at the same time, we're not thinking about the fact that these kids don't feel seen, okay? They don't feel as though they are seen on this campus. And if they don't feel that way, they act certain ways in order to make sure that. Their presence is known. Um, and that is the same thing in regards to the classroom level. The teachers may believe that they are supporting children, but this goes back to one of my last podcasts. I compared to the the new movie Trolls, where Poppy, as well as the other troll, they were saying that all trolls are the same. And then, funny enough, they have the funk trolls, and if you pay attention, who are really the Wakandan trolls who say no. We are not all the same, we, are, we all have differences. And these differences really need to be acknowledged. And we need to put systems in place that the, the black kids that are seen in school, they they feel as though they are seen in more than one way. And especially academically, because when they're seen in a classroom, they're given a one size fits all type of instruction because they figure, nope, you come here to learn. This is what we teach at this level. If you're not on that level, um i'm sorry uh but we're just gonna keep on moving and when we have a system like that where we have children who come in with various needs especially our black children we know that they come from some of the in this instance some of the lower socioeconomic communities right very similar to the neighborhood that i grew up in and these kids they're smart like they're smart like even when i taught in the IB program and National Baccalaureate program, these were, you know, black kids for the most part. But people will say, well, they're, you know, these are smart kids. All our kids are smart. But even with those groups of kids, they needed different supports. And I would say that right now, education is not really set up to, to support black children. They, and we know that by simple things like, you know, just even when it comes to history, the pictures that they have on the walls, right? The the figures and, and activities and things that they celebrate. And the names to, of the school. The names of the school, absolutely. Where we just have to put forth a lot more effort in this area. And it's a shame that we have to still be quote putting forth because I know in order to get these types of programs on my campus or to push it, I they have to be initiated. Okay, they're not just naturally in place. They have to be initiated. And another reason you know that schools really aren't set up for black children, I know in our district they had to, our superintendent a few years back created what they call the Minority Achievement Office. They created the Minority Achievement Office in order to spearhead initiatives for black children and minority children so that they can have the same opportunities as all other kids. And that that gives them access to different programs And different opportunities and mentoring that get them in careers such as like engineering and math and all types. But if without access, the school without access, they will never be able to thrive and be and be as and be as competitive as their you know counterpart. And that goes right back to how we do school. So is it set up for black kids? No, and that's really my, and this is unfortunate too, because I talk to you know people about this all the time. Is that the parents? Um, we we have to learn really what we need to push for. We got to learn what we need, to, you know, fight about. We need to learn what things we need to hold them to the line about versus you know some of the small things, you know, like a, a cell phone. Because at the end of the day, if we get hit in education, that's going to be that's going to be damages for generations
1: generations you mentioned your podcast tell us about classroom chats and what led you to create that
0: well classroom chats it was actually birthed out of the pandemic that i noticed that once and it was different all across the district so i looked at how it was structured and this goes back to your last question as well i looked at how things were structured in different communities in regards to how we're addressing the needs for our students when they are not in our classroom buildings teachers had so many questions i will tell you that our children our black children they went uh, missing they went mia on us and some of them are still missing. And the only thing that I keep thinking about is we need a way that we can support teachers in supporting them. And because there's no reason that we should lose 70, lose contact with 75% of our black children. That's a problem because this goes right back to our generational, generational damages. Where yep. This, yep. this will be something that we'll be paying for as a community for a very long time because our children cannot be reached. So that got me to thinking about just different organizations. And I began to think about how teachers sometimes operate in a silo, where we go into our classrooms, we close the door, and we do whatever we think we need to do for our children. And there are a lot of questions. One of my favorite quotes comes from Zora Neale Hurston, there are years that have questions and there are years that answer them. So my focus when it comes to classroom classroom chats is really just to be able to provide a safe space for teachers to be able to voice questions, concerns, to really just build a community where resources are funneled so that teachers can ask the question, throw it out there. I can address it, other educators can address it, and we can give you support, not just you know, by just saying, oh, why don't you do this, right? Yeah, we can give you advice, but just having a place where you can get resources and be tapped into things that you're gonna need in order to help students, that that is a very important place for teachers. And I know that at the district level, I know that at the district level, they have instructional coaches, but instructional coaches, they, they work for the schools and they, their time is limited. And I wanted a place where teachers can be able to reach out regardless of the time and the place so that they can get these st- strategies and tools in order to reach kids effectively in, in and in a timely manner.
1: And this, this collaboration is just one example of why we wanted to create Black Educators Matter so that we could have this global ecosystem of Black educators. To just create the space to be unapologetic and celebrate and highlight every single black educator that has influenced us. Everybody that is in the role from in the classroom, in the school, working at a community partnership, wherever you work in a space. All of us to just be able to get together and be like, I see
0: you. I see you. Absolutely, yeah, and it's really too, it's my hopes, ultimately, like I start every episode by saying, you know, it's my hope that I for, I help you further develop your teacher identity, because as teachers we continue to grow, we evolve every year when, when we've decided that we are no longer growing, we're no longer eligible to be in a position, you need to find a new career, a new position, you need to do something different, because as with time, just like right now, we're living through it, we're living through a real life shift, okay, there will be a Shifting education, so like my most recent episodes are talking about the COVID takeaways and where do we go from here, right? I spoke to someone at you know the secondary level, and I'm going to bring it in secondary As institutions because it, we need to think about how things are shifting, and we have a lot of educators who might not necessarily be aligning themselves with the shift. Okay, we don't want orders of the bookstore where we see that things are going in a different direction we don't make the necessary changes then as a result of it we're shut down and we're no longer effective yep. we have to make shifts and one thing that is very evident right now is that there is a lack of equity and we need to figure out how we are going to make sure that our black children are still learning fight this pandemic, because we, not all kids, have the same learning environment at home. Not all homes are conducive to distance learning, and we really, as, you know, as community of educators, have to really pay attention to what do we do now. So when I start talking about teacher identity, it's really because we need to shift. And I find in my experiences that teachers who at one point in their career have been teaching all predominantly white students, when they get a classroom with more black children, they struggle more. And the reason that some of them are struggling more is because they are not taking the time to shift with the demographics in their schools, in the community, in the needs that are there. Because if we don't acknowledge the gifts and the talents and all of the smarts that the black children walk into the door with, because we say, well, you know, they're not scoring at this level, then we'll never get them to, quote, score at that level if we don't build on the base that they walk into the door with. And they are smarts. They are talented and they are gifted.
1: And is one of the shifts that's going to happen, are we going to move away from looking at that test score as the qualifier of excellence. Do you think that um, that's well, going to happen?
0: Not that that's going to be a slow change. Um, one of my colleagues told me when I transitioned into um, a non Title One schools that I need to expect change to be slow. And and when she said that, I had to really spend a little time talking about. Thinking about really what that means. So with that question, I will say that with the change will be slow in that area. In other communities, they're not a fan of testing either. So that might um, place our benefit. But as of right now, I know only one state, at least from what I heard a couple days ago, I read a couple of days ago, only one state that has petitioned to throw out uh, the test score, test score for even next year. Even though we all threw them out this year, only one state has even petitioned to throw them out next year. and I think that maybe eventually we may get there, but I think that's a long time coming.
1: Where can we connect with you for Classroom Chats and just for any other educator that wants to connect with you?
0: Well, you can connect with me, of course, on Facebook. On Facebook, there's a Facebook group called Classroom Chats, and right now our membership is growing. In addition to that, I'm on Instagram, classroom underscore chats. Of course, I can be reached at my website, classroomchats.com. So, And if they want to reach out uh, via uh, the podcast, I take messages and questions on the podcast. That's going to be at anchor.com forward slash classroom chats. They can listen to episodes there. And most importantly, if they have a question or something they'd like for us to discuss, like a funnel and push resources and support into, just go ahead and send me a message there and I'll be made sure to, to respond to that. And then ultimately email it's crystal at classroomchats.com. It's just classroom chats everywhere.
1: <laughs> classroom <laughs> chats everywhere. That's the motto. Classroom chats everywhere. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and walking us through. And I understand the compartmentalization. I think if you are a black person in, in America, you learn how to do that. That's part of the normalizing the trauma and coping. But I understand yeah. that especially in a professional setting. Right
0: to know when to compartmentalize and when to pull out and when to put it in uh, just because you know I have to protect you know, my mind space. We take in a lot and there's a lot of trauma that, um, that we, we experience a lot of trauma unfortunately especially now with you know the BLM and uh, COVID all at once all at one and I'm, I'm really concerned even about the kids so I just have to work on protecting my mind space and my safe space and moving forward towards change and that's one way that I do it. I
1: wonder do you do affirmations?
0: You mean personally? Mm-hmm. No, ma'am.
1: Because um, was, the way that you start your podcast, to me, sounds like an affirmation that I think almost every educator or especially every, every teacher should say.
0: Oh, wow. No, not at all. Not, not, I don't really. I pray a lot. They laugh at me about it at work because, you know, I have to, uh, in addition to compartmentalize, I pray a lot. <laughs> but I don't do affirmations. But thank you for that feedback.
1: No, because, I mean, can you say it again for us?
0: My opening where Mm -hmm. I say, oh, how I open Classroom Chats? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I say, well, uh, the way that I say it is I say, you know, welcome back to Classroom Chats with Crystal, where my focus is on helping you further develop your teacher identity. That's, I think that might be the version that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, like you (laughs) helping you develop your teacher identity. I think if everybody stepped into the space, Understanding who they are, that helps you check your bias. It helps you understand, you know, what you need to focus on, the pieces of you that you need to elevate, the pieces of you that you need to silence. Like when you understand your teacher identity, that's how you can shift to mirror the demographics in your classroom.
0: You're absolutely right. One of my favorite things, now that you bring that up, because I, I spend a lot like of time reading as well. I pray, I read, you know. And one thing that I read, one of my favorite um, authors deals as an instructional coach, Elena Aguilar. And one of my favorite things is her section on core values, understanding your core values. And one of the best exercises is after you've established what your core values are, when you go into a meeting with your teachers or with anybody for that matter, with a parent, when you walk out, you need to evaluate whether or not your behavior in that meeting aligns with your core values. Come on. So, so it is, and that's something that a lot of people don't always spend time identifying and, and walking in. And it's very it's very much the same when it comes to teacher identity. When I did a presentation at the leadership fair, it was on identifying your core values so you know who you are as a teacher. I didn't want people to think I was being condescending when I say helping you further develop your teacher identity through question and answer. Um, the reason that I, I didn't want them to think was well, like, hey, I know who I am, right? But when we start to actually ask that question about values and who you are as a teacher, most people have to pause. Most people, some people are like, well, you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know what my core values are in the classroom. You should, and I'm not talking about your rules and your procedures for your kids, okay? I'm not talking about your pillars of success for your children. I'm talking about you as an educator, who are you? Because you're right. If you know who you are, you align all of your behavior, your practices, even lesson planning, contact with parents, interaction with students, all of that goes flows right into who you know you are. And and, and if you know you're growing too, you'll know that you're deliberately working on certain things in order to shift that part of you know your identity.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have any black educators that you would like to thank?
0: All right, black educators that I like to think well, there are, there are a few, but what, there are a few that pop into my mind right away. The first being um, King and Nelson Warren. King Nelson Warren is a black educator. She was one of my teachers in high school. I came back to teach. She actually took the time to share her lesson plans to coach me. To really, she really reached back. And what I will tell people all the time is that she's continuously coaching from the sidelines and even now as, an, as I'm an assistant principal she's still coaching me from afar we are not even in the same school although we're in the same district she still reaches back for me right if there's something that you know she needs that she knows that I need to learn or to grow and develop in she's she's sidelining that making sure I get all of it so when I became an assistant principal one thing that I did that night was thank her I said you know thank you so much for reaching back for me um, because it's so important especially as black educators and black you know women educators that we we reach back for one another, and she has helped me in every part of, like, my life, in every part of my career. Um, So I am so very thankful to her. The second Black educator that I would like to thank, who also, I sing the same note, would be my old high school principal. Okay, she started off as an assistant principal. I don't even know how I developed a relationship with her, but she was an assistant principal. We went to summer, came back. And she was a principal, Principal Elaine Scott. She is still now the principal of um, alter- of an alternative school. And she serves our most challenging students every day. And she does it so authentically where the kids are able to make connections with her. And she's able to make life changes in the lives of individuals that people have already counted out. And even once again, when I was becoming an assistant principal, She cleared a schedule for me just to sit with me, to give me coaching and guidance. And she continues to check on me and my family just as a person. And both of these people connected with me personally as well as professionally to ensure that I continue to grow so that I may help and continue to influence the the education community, especially in regard to Black educators. So I am so very thankful to both of those ladies.
1: Thank you so much for just coming on the show and blessing us with these classroom chats and just spending some time with Crystal. I want to officially again say thank you for everything that you've done. It was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Danielle. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.